This episode is brought to you by a brand new sponsor of the show, Picmonic. Picmonic is an audiovisual learning system with unforgettable stories and characters to help you remember everything you need to know for PT school and beyond. Used by over 1.5 million students all over the world, Picmonic is perfect for streamlining your studying in an efficient manner. Listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps for a 20% discount, and first-time users can start today for free. Getting access to one learning objective and one Picmonic quiz per day, forever, at zero cost. Available on iOS, Android, and desktop. Once again, listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps at checkout. Happy studying, and let's get right into the show. Okay, perfect. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Snack Break by OrthoSnacks. I'm your host, John Schaefer, and on this podcast, I interview physical therapists, fitness professionals, and health and wellness experts. My guest today is a self-employed physical therapist who works in Montreal, Canada, where he got his master's degree from McGill University. Uh, he's made it his mission to fight misinformation in the fitness and musculoskeletal rehab sphere using memes and science education through his handle, No Bullshit Physio. He is Alexis Leveille. How's the pronunciation there? That was great, honestly. <laughs> How are you doing, Alex? Thanks for coming on so much. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. So I kind of want to start the podcast. I'll just give you a little bit of information on how I found you and kind of why I thought you'd be a fantastic guest. So I think it was about maybe a month or two ago, my DMs were being flooded by some of my PT classmates who were sending me your memes. And I thought some of them were so ridiculous and so funny. And I was like, okay, who is this guy? I got to check him out a little bit more. And when I actually dove into your content a little bit deeper I realized how well thought out some of your posts are in terms of going after misinformation and making sure that you know people are aware that not everything you see online some things that we take to be common knowledge are actually true so that kind of led me to dive deeper into some of the articles that you post um, and realize that you know you are really you're fighting for a noble cause and you've got some great information so i really appreciate everything that you're doing thanks that's why so, I do it. yeah so i guess i'm curious um, when you first became interested in fighting misinformation or why you realized that that was something important to do uh i mean i get this question a lot i was um i was just wasting a lot of time arguing online and during the pandemic with all the anti-vax propaganda it got really bad so i just decided to kind of do my own thing and turn it into something productive instead of arguing on big pages and then actually giving them traction with my attention and then uh i really got really into it when uh i mean brooke bush got again like Tristan to sue me I was like damn I can actually have an effect <laughs> and I mean unfortunately for him I uh I mean I got the ball rolling so thank you mm-hmm. Brent <laughs> so is it a situation where you're doing a lot of this while you were still in school too no I actually just started like four months ago okay um, I think, yeah yeah so have you been were you ever active on like the online spaces in the past and like comment sections and things like that or was it really once you um once you had the account no bullshit physio that you really took off with everything uh i mean i was before but it was in small comments so there there's like a few pages i was talking um i was talking to and there's one like the biggest pages in quebec the biggest page i think it's dominique labelle he um mm-hmm. posted some good content but i was always like ah this is 
perfectly accurate. This is great. And I was like, you know, this guy, you know, deserves a lot of attention, but I feel like I can do, um, I can provide a better scientific input. Like, you know, it's something different from him. He's like very positive and he encourages exercise. He's really cool. But I was like, there's no reason if he can do it, I can't do it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's what got me, got me started. Um, and, but then, yeah, the page I just started four months ago, being active on it. Oh, camera keeps breaking. <laughs> that's all right. Um, so yeah, no, that's really cool though. Um, so I guess I'm curious kind of what your research background is then. Cause you said you went to McGill university. So what kind of coursework did you have there? The cats are joining us. What kind of coursework did you have there in terms of preparing you to dive deeper into the research? Uh, well, I mean, I didn't have more <laughs> science uh, education than most. Like we do, mm-hmm. I think you guys do that, right? We do like a research project at the end. So my university, actually, there's no like capstone project. We have a couple courses. It's called evidence-based practice where you like learn yeah. how to use statistics and things like that. But in terms of actual research, my university um, isn't, it doesn't have a particularly strong uh, emphasis on research. Okay. So I'm not sure how it varies in Canada. Yeah, for us, I think McGill is in the best school of being up to date as to what they're actually teaching you. But I think mm-hmm. if I compare it to other universities, was, was, what was really good is that they, they were adamant that what they were teaching us was going to be outdated pretty soon. Um, so to keep up with the research. And I think the research project was a good part of it to see like how the research work, how it mm. can be flawed and all that. I think my, my research uh, project, and I say my, it was like along with four people. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, we, um, it was about how exercise can potentiate memorization. So like if mm-hmm. you do, it's been repeated. So basically it was a replication study, but uh, by my professor, if you do like 30 minutes of uh, intense cardio, uh, right before studying, it's probably the best time to study for retention of memory. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's probably because you're secreting met- metabolites that are useful to potentiate memory or something like that. We don't really understand why. He has some theories, but yeah, we basically worked on that. So we had people do like a bike um, bike ride really intensely, like a VO2 max. And then we taught them like a motor task. And it seemed to retain the task better, the skill, um, if they had done the cardio after it was like an RCT basically. Okay, cool. So it was a situation where you had the opportunity to do this project. It gave you some more insight and in how to dive deeper into the research. And from there you kind of took off. what you say? Uh, interestingly enough, I think it's what convinced me I didn't want to go into research, which is interesting because I'm like pivoting back now. Um, <laughs> I thought research. So for me, I've always been someone very curious and very annoying with questions. And it's, like for me, the way I commonly explained it to people was that I, I love reading research, but I, I don't like doing it because it's like, well, my impression at the time was that it's like going on Google, but Google is very slow and you're only going to get your answer in five years. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, or you can just like, it, for, and for me, it's like, yeah, if, if I have a very burning question, for sure, I'll wait, but in general, just reading research is more interesting to me. But then right now I'm pivoting back because I realized that um, when you do your PhD, you're always constantly reading research, right? To give the context to what you're creating in forms of knowledge. Um, so yeah, it convinced me I, did, I didn't want to do it but again. Yeah, I'm pivoting back. Okay. So do, can you see a time in the future where you'll get your PhD ever? I'm actually talking to a lot of people right now. I'm thinking of applying this year. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
uh, yeah, I'm either Australia or Copenhagen or even distance. Uh, but then again, I just have to, I have the grades. I had the grades. Uh, it's just, again, I have to figure it out and not be lazy because I tend to be lazy about stuff like this if it's not like a short reward. Right. Yeah, I think that that is a big commitment too. If that's a little bit of a pivot, I mean, like kind of like you said, um, it's one thing to interpret the research and spend time with it. It's another to develop the research yourself. So, so some big decisions for sure. But yeah. I mean, you kind of touched on it before, but with a lot of universities teaching information that's going to be outdated in five to ten years, what do you say to students who are in the middle of that? Just try and learn try and learn what's current as best you can, try and stay up with it. I mean, do you have any tips or pointers for yeah, kind of deal, uh, dealing with the truth that it's a very, I mean, it's a changing field? Uh, yeah, um, I think, uh, and I, I think I kind of talked about it when I talked about Mikhail, but I think the goal of the university is not to teach you what you should use for research, it, uh, for, for practice. It is a little bit, but not really. I think the main goal is to teach you how to be a lifelong learner. So that's, for us, it's kind of a more obvious distinction for the, because it's a, you know, you get the bachelor's and the master's. The bachelor's just to give you a basis of like what science is and like how the body works. And then when you get to the master's, it's to teach you how to apply it to clinic, like clinically and, you know, teach you how to do that with the latest evidence to your whole life, right? Universities should be much better, like with the evidence, because it's their literal jobs. But I think it's still, they're good at, I mean, the good ones, the good universities are good at giving you the onus of, like, you know, you're, you're responsible. It's, it's like a doctor, like, you know, he's there to take care of your health, but it, at the end of the day, you got to do it yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a good doctor is going to teach you strategies to stay like healthy. Right. Um, so sorry. What was the question again? Uh, no, no, oh, how did the students deal with it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think for students, it's too hard. You gotta, you want to pass. And I was like, I was probably the most guilty person. I was like always giving the minimal effort always. Right. I was really, really lazy. And, um, uh yeah it's again you got it passed so when you're a student i don't think it's your time to challenge the teachers or whatever you can just be critical when they give you information and don't accept anything they're, they're telling you but i think quicker ways to like bypass bad information like being subscribed to podcasts is probably the best thing and then accepting that a lot of what you're going to learn is going to be outdated when you get out okay yeah because i think that one of the challenges a lot of students run into is a lot of the ways they practice mirror whatever clinical instructors they have. I'm not exactly sure how, how do rotations work for you in Canada? Uh, you have like a leeway, but it's basically, it's like a bit random and then a bit uh, luck. It's okay. kind of like residencies, like you have to have the skill for that, but then okay. it's mostly chance. But some kind of a transition period. Um, we're getting some mentorship from the clinical instructor. Uh, we have like four rotations. I did five because I broke my hand midway okay. to one. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, not, not just playing soccer. So I couldn't really hold patients anymore. Um, but they, uh, yeah, you just get four. You need one in cardio, one in neuro, and then two in whatever. So people either pick orthopedic, um, like private outpatient or some form of orthopedics, and then the dietary or something. Okay. Um, yeah, but yeah, the, the mentorship is not like, you don't get like a mentor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're basically working and you, you have like a someone. Yeah. You're just working for someone basically. Okay. Yeah. That's very similar how it, how it is to us. And my point was going to be 
that, you know, a lot of how you practice kind of depends on who those clinical instructors are for you. And if they're not necessarily keeping up with the research, I think that puts the student in a difficult spot, especially if maybe the clinical instructor is a little bit older, has been out of school for a while. So I think that, I don't know, that that just seems to be a challenge across the field. And that's something that I'm not sure, like there's a great answer. Kind of like you said, you got to do what you got to do to pass. Um, but just knowing that there are tools and resources yeah. out there to push yourself um, to take advantage of a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I mean, I was really lucky. Like my first, my, uh, my second supervisor was like super, super evidence-based and basically told me that most of the things I didn't like about physio, um, like a lot of skepticism about how manual therapy worked and how it, if, like efficacious it was, he was like, yeah. Uh, correct. He showed me, pointed point me to some research because he told me like how to keep up the data, good sources, and stuff like that a little bit. And then I just got the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's some that you just can't question. And uh, I think the best you can do is just like lead the horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. So um, what I often tell people is if someone's really saying something that goes against the scientific consensus, you find like you find like a really high quality study, preferably like a systematic review. And you ask him to explain it to you. You're like, hey, I don't understand. Like, can you explain it in the context of what you told me the other day? And like, if he's a hypocrite, he's going to discard it because he's a hypocrite and then there's nothing you can do. If he's um, actually cares about the evidence and being up to date and can step on his ego, he'll probably explain it to you. And maybe he's going to even learn from you, which is what good teachers do. They learn from their students. Mm-hmm. But I guess sometimes you can. Most supervisors won't change because it's, I don't know, humans are. So I think the next, the next thing I want to talk about is, I guess, just the development of your account. So January 2020 rolls around, you make the Instagram account. What was your initial hope for the page? I saw, I mean, you're posting lifting videos, you're building a flywheel. It seemed like a lot was going on. And then the memes started coming in. So just kind of take me through what your initial vision for the page was. Uh, honestly, I had no plan going on at the <laughs> beginning. It was just to make my myself laugh, and then I saw, yeah, I didn't mention functional memeology. He, uh, I used to comment a lot on this page, and I thought it was really funny. Uh-huh. And because he's not, now a lot of people don't know this. He's just a student, right? So, um, he was asking me for advice. Now I understand why, but I didn't know why. He's like, "Hey, uh-huh. is this meme legit?" And I was like, "If that guy can do it, I can do it." So we just started. <laughs> Piggyback, piggybacking off each other and doing memes together. Um, okay, so he contacted you for meme advice? At some point, yeah, because I was always commenting and getting like wow. top comment okay. on his memes. So I was like, yeah, it was just, but basically I thought it was because he thought I was funny, but then I realized it's because he wasn't a, a full-fledged PT. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> he was just asking for free professional advice, I think. Wow. Okay. So no, no vision going in. Um, I guess now that things are rolling rolling along pretty well for you and you're starting to build an audience, where do you see this going? Uh, using it as a platform, like I basically want to use this as a vehicle for courses. Like I don't want to, and again, we all have already pivoted with me, Jacob Tebklar and Elliot Sarah. So a Cairo and a, um, a PT in the US. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you're aware we founded like pragmatic rehab principles so it's like a, an educational company so okay cool just got the llc yeah so i'm 
yeah, I'm literally, after this, I'm literally paying for the business license. So we got some things going on and that was what I was working on before. So cool. basically pivot this into something educational and keep doing memes to make myself laugh. And yeah. Yeah, because I think uh, kind of like for me, I would say it's some memes that really draw people in. It's the great content that people stay for. So that's, that is awesome. Um, and then just going back to, I mean, tips, tips for students, like what do you use in terms of maybe databases? in terms of gra- like to grab your research from are you using like pubmed what's your go-to um i mean obviously it's pubmed because that's where everything is right it's like kind of like the google so if i just tell you pubmed i don't think it's really <laughs> helpful um okay but do you have any i mean do you have any yeah, other tips yeah. for like databases yeah, yeah, yeah. that maybe people wouldn't think of yeah no i wasn't go- i was gonna <laughs> or i was gonna answer i was just like no it's a stupid question no, um, it's just where I find my study now, it's kind of a bit a haphazard because I'm always like answering questions or if I'm doing a meme, I'm researching it. So I'm, it's very focused on where I get my information uh, mm-hmm. or I get it on Twitter. Like when Twitter is where I find the new studies drop in, right? But they might not be relevant for most people because most people don't, uh, might not be aware of the old research either. Um, mm-hmm. So just to say really, really like, I don't, and I don't think everyone's need, needs to be up to date to the, the day, like to the day, right? um so where i find my study is again kind of everywhere but if for for people to stay up to date is that the up-to-date question you wanted to ask me yeah so just i mean maybe if a student only had access to like two or three databases not pop not pubmed what direction would you point them in if they're looking to try and get involved in um some different research where should they start looking uh you mean like not free access um, no, no it, it could be free access. I'm just saying like not PubMed. Cause I feel like that's maybe where yeah. everyone goes. Yeah. I mean, it is where you get, I think it's just, there's too much on PubMed. It's more about what, where do you look for things on PubMed? So um, okay. my thing is uh, I tell when people need to learn something, if you're not very used to critically appraising research, you just find a systematic review on the question you're looking for. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just read it like from top to bottom. And that's going to teach you a lot about how the quality of the systematic review. And then you can just go to a really way, quick way to see if the SR is legit as you go to the table too, which is usually where they kind of list the studies, the RCTs that they use, if it is based on RCTs and they write like a very succinct uh, version of what it is. So they write like the interventions, the methods and whatever. And sometimes you'll know if it's a shitty study, if um, the methods don't, fit in with what the SR is trying to prove, right? So I was doing one, I'm looking at one right now that's on, um, it was done in 2018 on a preventative Cairo, like spinal manipulation. And they, they, there's just four studies on it. There's five, but whatever, the other one doesn't apply. And one of them isn't even on preventative uh, spinal manipulation. It was on people who already had pain. It's just, they stopped in one group. So right there, you know, that's probably not a good SR. The other one didn't even compare, didn't even isolate like spinal manipulation. You can look there, but basically, usually what I say is like, if it's a good SR, what you do is you look at the studies individually and then you read them. And if you know all of them, you're probably very up to date to that very specific question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's no systematic review, it means there's very little RCT. So you just look at those. And okay. yeah, that's probably the easiest way to do it, honestly. And that's what I used to do is a, when a patient came in with something I didn't know how to deal with like, Oh, I've never seen this. Well, you just look at the, at the literature and it's a very, very, that's what, that's what systematic reviews are there for. It's to get a really quick glimpse of how, what the research is doing, 
But again, if you scrutinize it a lot, it's going to teach you a lot about how to appraise the data and if it was a good systematic review. Okay, cool. So is it a situation where you usually do read um, all the articles you're interested in top to bottom or are you skimming more? Because it seems like you take in so much information. I'm trying to yeah. imagine whether you're sitting at your desk reading all day long or if it's more of like a skim, pull it's important, dig deeper in other areas. I skimp, but sometimes I skimp. There's some, like the new articles I'll read. I, I never read top to bottom because most of the literature, like the papers are not important. Like a lot of the introduction is just reiterating research I've already read, right? Like I don't need the context because I, I work in a field, right? Except if it's a topic that I'm not new on. So like when I was looking at gag test, I wanted to know like the reliability, like where the technique came from and all that stuff. But if it's something I'm familiar with, like NeoA, I don't need to read the intro, right? I just want to look at the methods and how it's done. So you should do like you the abstract. It's a good study. You read the, and you read the methods, then you read the results, see if there's some data, like um, I want to say fuckery. Can I swear? Yeah, I can, right? Go for it. So. Okay, yeah. So yeah, if there's some fuckery in the data, I uh, look at the number of outcomes and then you go to the results. So basically, I just do a very selective scan, but there are some articles I, I read top to bottom. Um, yeah, but, but to be honest, I do read most of the day, but right now, I'm kind of being obsessed right now, but mm-hmm. and then- I didn't used to do it. And I don't think everyone needs to do that. I don't think everyone should do that. I think it's unhealthy, but I do it just because I want to, again, pivot into something a little bit more educational. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then you mentioned that um, an easy way to tell is kind of the methods don't align. Can you give me a, like a specific example of maybe an article you were looking at where you're like, okay, this is, this is total nonsense based on the methods you saw? Uh, I mean, yeah, I just reviewed a paper. Um, so it was this account named Posture Pro and the way she practices Cairo is she looks at primitive reflexes, you know, the babies have, right? And she says that the delay explains like non-musculoskeletal problems. So like if you have a delayed tonic reflex, she like shakes the baby's head and if the, well, the girl's head, and if the girl's head goes one way, she's like, oh, that's why she has ADHD. So I was like, is there any research on this? And she sent me a study. And in the study, they did, (laughs) they said the conclusion was uh, tonic reflex uh, patterning helps with ADHD, right? Looks good. They did it. It It works. If you look at the methods, there was six interventions. So there was a psychological consult for 12 weeks, three times a week. So 36 hours of therapy, that's a lot. And it was like, yeah, sorry, it was like, yeah, whatever, coaching for people with ADHD, academic training, uh, some form of exercise, if I recall. And then there was sessions of like tonic reflex repatterning. And then they said, okay. and there was no control group, right? And then their conclusion is like, hey, ADHD got better. It's like, yeah, honestly, if I'm being honest, I'm pretty sure it's because they practice doing academic work. It's not because you shake their head the right way, <laughs> right? That's just, you can't prove the question. Even, even if we assume that the, their intervention that they're studying does that, you can't prove it from the, the, the methods, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, you can't answer it. And that's, that's one of the things that drives me crazy. It's like we have too much research to read and there's so much of it that's terrible. Like, I would love it if they would make it harder to publish so that um, after I'm done with my, my PhD, uh, <laughs> um, so that there's less to read and people can keep up, but it's at least better. You know, it's like Netflix. Netflix is flooded with bad. I'd prefer if there was like seven things on Netflix. It's all good because I haven't watched Netflix in like two years because it's, it's terrible. That's a hot take. Um, so yeah. and Netflix okay. Canada, that's different. Netflix <laughs> Canada, right? 
need a VPN or something to get that, those US shows. Um, so I guess it sounds like when you come across a study or something on Instagram, a post that you don't necessarily agree with, trying to dig deeper into, are you messaging these accounts and kind of asking them, hey, what's up? What's, what's backing this post? Or kind of how yeah. are you approaching that? Yeah, if it's someone I've never mean, I'll always ask, well, I, I try, except if it's like obvious that they're a grifter. Like if they're a grifter and it's really, really harmful, like watch your guy, Mike, I never messaged him because this guy doesn't give a shit, right? Um, but um, like the posture pro person, I was like, I'm pretty, like, she sent me a study, which I, I appreciate. And I'm less likely to meme her. I asked her, like, I told her my, um, my gripes with the study. She didn't answer. So I'm probably just going to meme her, but there are some people that responded really well to being challenged and who I haven't meme. And these are even some people I haven't meme yet because they, they started like engaging with the contradictory evidence. So like Andrew Locke, I haven't memed him in a really long time. Whereas at the beginning, that's kind of one of the things I got my page going. Because he, like he comes to my DMs now, and he, I posted it recently, and he didn't like it, and he was right. Like I, the wording was bad. It was like basically implying that anyone who liked McGill was like um, kind of stupid. It wasn't what I meant. It was like people misquote McGill and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we like we share studies. Like he's gonna engage. I disagree with him on almost everything, but I respect that he's engaging with you know with the evidence, which is the bare minimum. I'm asking. T- of uh to people like these pages is just like read the evidence and engage with it don't stop like putting it under the rug um so yeah i do give people a chance and there's some people i've made friends with like i disagree with them they were like hey you know what you're right and now you know what they refer me patients <laughs> that oh, happens wow. today like um yeah so i do give people a chance yeah okay, okay. so it, it sounds like a situation where it at least opens a dialogue and then you have the opportunity to kind of, you know, defend your opinion. They can defend theirs and hopefully reach some kind of logical conclusion. If not, you drop the hammer and meme them. Is that the ultimate penalty for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, no, I'll try to, yeah, no, it is. <laughs> but again, the goal is not to meme everyone I disagree with because some people think that's what I do. I don't. And honestly, most people, I don't care what you're doing because I think everything kind of works the same for pain. It's just that the narrative that we have around why it works that has an impact because it's going to lead to one, doing it excessively. Like, for instance, preventative manual therapy is useless because, and people who do it as people, in my opinion, don't understand how it works because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, we got to correct some form of misalignment. So you got to come back recently if you understand how manual therapy works it's just neurophysiological effects so if you don't have symptoms it's kind of useless right mm-hmm. um so yeah if someone doesn't go against the scientific consensus or isn't being openly dishonest about the literature i'm not going to meme them except if they're like re- repeat offenders then i'll be like really strictly like if someone is squat you suppose something like slightly stupid i'll probably make fun of it because he goes against the scientific consensus so often like his impingement post was terrible right but if it's just someone, someone I've never mean, like this one thing I disagree with, I'm not like a tyrant. I, I agree that the research isn't 100% and we don't have the quality to be like, hey, we know this for sure on most things. It's just when, again, when someone put, does something harmful and completely backwards to intervene, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's something that I really appreciate about the way you go about everything. 
is it seems like you take a very thoughtful approach to, you know, making sure that you're putting out good content, you're still being respectful of others, giving them the opportunity to right their wrongs. So I think, I think the way you're going about it is fantastic, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll be immature once in a while. Got to got to keep things fun for sure. But I guess with some of these bigger accounts that are posting information contradictory to what you kind of said is known scientific work. Um, why do you think that is? Uh, I mean, it's hard to maintain big pages. I think maybe they don't have the time where, well, I mean, they could get an intern to do it, but um, mm-hmm. I think it's hard. And also I don't think you're rewarded. It's not like people follow people because they're good at reading science. And when they are, it's it's not like the most people, like the bulk of, to have a big page, you have to be followed by the bulk of people of of your niche right and it's mm-hmm. not like the bulk of people is good at analyzing data so i just it's just not the way the algorithm works so i think that's why they get rewarded um like i probably have less followers if i were i don't know like really really ugly <laughs> like, you know what i mean <laughs> it's just it's just the way it works uh, yeah. they reward different things which is fine uh and you know i've talked about this before but misinformation is rewarded by the algorithm because it's it's new and it goes against common sense so it gets more traction and it's more controversial so people engage with it more mm-hmm. um so yeah probably a couple things and you know people want to i think they just like spot you, you you they hit the sweet spot where they they're just they look like just like advanced enough that people feel smart like they like science but it's not challenging it's not too challenging that it's like they get cognitive dissonance right because learning can be unpleasant when you you learn something that's contrary to your belief you want to be like hey i'm right but also i learned something Mm -hmm. whereas most science pages post uncomfortable truths because science is uncomfortable and being like hey i was wrong and i need to learn especially on instagram we don't necessarily go to learn uh it can be counterproductive to the growth yeah that makes sense I not think, the growth not the personal growth but to um page growth yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i think honestly that was one of my frustrations when i first started my account i was interested in putting out a little bit of research too and i felt like you know i could put in a ton of effort trying to go through different studies and things like that it just didn't get a whole lot of engagement. I felt like people weren't necessarily super, super interested in it um, compared to some of these conversations I'm having or any flashy reel or video I put together. So kind of like you said, I I don't think it's rewarded enough. And I don't necessarily know that I see that changing a whole lot moving forward. I'm not sure what your take on that would be. Um, Yeah, I mean, one thing we could change and uh, I've read some of the research on misinformation. There's some stuff that could be done to fight misinformation. To change the what you mean, like making accurate information or science more palatable, I think we can't change that because that's just human nature, right? You go on Netflix and watch like PubMed shows, like there's no reality show where, where scientists talking about yeah. science, right? But there is a bunch talking about nonsense. So you can't change that because that's human nature, but we can fight uh, gross misinformation. There was a paper done at MIT. It was like a year ago or two years ago. And they, uh, they looked at group, um, crowdsourcing um, reporting of misinformation. 
So basically, you use like algorithms that tell people, like, hey, is this misinformation or not? Basically, crowdsourced it. And uh, it was pretty efficient at reducing misinformation. So maybe they could implement something like that on Instagram. I don't know how it would work. It would probably have some drawbacks for like some accounts where saying real information get reported or controversial information, like um, trans people or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it could be good overall. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then just a couple more questions kind of about what you're doing right now. So have, have you gotten any backlash from anyone you've called out or have most people been fairly receptive to what you're doing? Uh, yeah, a bunch of backlash. Uh, worst, I mean, the worst was Brooke uh, Bush called my work twice, basically trying to get in trouble uh, and trying to sue my employee, my employer, my employer myself. Uh, and then today, actually, Zhang Shi uh, called my work to say he was going to sue me. Uh, and he asked my workplace if they wanted to be involved. If you want to be involved with that in- individual, and it's like, okay. Uh, I, I mean, they have no case. I don't mind it that much. Uh, and then, I don't know, one guy called because he was angry because he, he posted that biking was dangerous because it was like setting so people should not bike. And I told him it was a bunch of nonsense. And he called my work to complain. My work was like, who cares? Because um, I'm self-employed. So I don't, they don't really represent me. <laughs> they literally have no recourse. Uh, but then, I don't know, I got a bunch. Like, the go-to boys could be kind of uh infuriating so like they go on all social media platforms and they like take videos of me squatting and they're like yeah you're really stiff and all that stuff but i don't care because it's just it just shows how unhappy some of them are it's not all of them like go to bam's pretty nice but yeah a lot of the go boys are kind of obsessed and sad people in my opinion mm-hmm. some are nice okay but for the most part your employer is supportive of you or the area you work in so far Okay. We'll see if that gets yeah, I mean, so far. Uh, I don't know if he's. I think I don't know if it's uh, supportive. It's more. It's not like go go fight a good fight. He's like I think the way he put it to me last time we spoke was like, I don't really agree with your methods, but I understand your your journey. So keep doing you. Just don't get me wet. And I was like, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Don't get me wet. That's kind of weird. Just like don't get me uh, involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Um, and then, so, I mean, outside of Instagram, kind of like, what's your what's your normal week looking like these days? Um, I work like a lot of days. Like, I work six days a week, but a lot of them are half days. Oh, that's uh, nice. I, I'm someone who's like, if I'm on a day off and I don't have anything scheduled, I might just stay in and do nothing. Um, and it was scheduled that way because uh, the way I like works is we need to work one day out of the weekend. So what I did is I was like, but what I did is I said I'm going to work two days of the weekend and have another weekend during the week. So basically, I'm not working. Whatever. Basically, it's structured in a way that I could do surf trips whenever I want. I can go whenever I want. Which I really like. Uh, just with the pandemic, it hasn't been really fruitful because I can't go to the U.S. to surf, which was like my, I would just drive four hours, sleep in my car and just surf, but I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what I do. And then when I don't have patience, I just read research. That's what I do. Yeah, a lot. And what else? Yeah, I'm working on, mostly, honestly, right now, probably most of my week is working on my the educational company I'm starting to get my course going. I have like two cool, well, I have three courses I'm trying to do. And one for my page, which is basically how to teach 
uh, students how to stay up to date, like lifelong learners. And then the other one is for pragmatic rehab principles. And it's to um, my other educational company with uh, two other guys to, uh, well, just basically like, teach exercise professionals how to prescribe exercise in a way that makes sense and is pragmatic. Mm -hmm. Cool. So it sounds like, sounds like you're headed in a great direction with a lot of excited, exciting stuff coming up. Um, so I do have five more questions for you that I ask all my guests. Are you up for answering them? Sure. All right. First question is, yep. what is your biggest key to a successful day? Uh, honestly, good night's sleep. <laughs> How many I hours are you talking? So much easier if you slept well to connect with people. I know it's stupid, but like a good seven hours at least. I know it should be eight, but if I slept seven hours, I feel significantly better. Uh, especially start work down. Um, so I'd say that like take care of yourself, and then it's gonna be easier to take care of other people. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, honestly, I keep it simple. So that's really my answer. I, you asked in advance, that's really what I went with. <laughs> no, I like it. I feel like my my worst days in clinic are usually when I only get like six hours of sleep. It's just the whole day is a lot more of a grind if you're not well rested. So my next question for you is, what do you wish someone would have told yeah. you? Sorry, we're getting a little bit of a delay. Um, my next question is, what do you wish someone would have told you five years ago? um i really struggle with that question like honestly i just i feel like all the mistakes i've all the mistakes i've made and stuff that happened led me to here mm -hmm. uh, and like even if some of the lessons were really uncomfortable um probably honestly i wouldn't change anything <laughs> i just like where i'm at right now Every, everything uh, ended up perfect but i mean yeah, i think lessons were really uncomfortable but i really like where i was yeah i mean i think that's a good lesson in itself that you know you're even if you learn some tough lessons along the way it's ultimately going to propel yeah. you to a good situation if you if you learn from them so I'll give you a pass there um <laughs> But uh, is there any book or product that has positively impacted your life in the last three months? Um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't read many books this day. Like last three months, I would say no. I was going to say uh, Sci-Hub, because <laughs> if people don't know about it, it's great. Uh, it's just like it's behind a paywall. Uh, I mean, it's, sorry, it's not Sci-Hub. It's something that rhymes with Sci-Hub, sorry. Uh, it might allow you to go behind tables, but I don't know. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I think honestly, in the last three months, I've read it years ago, but, but the, I took, there was a summer where I took all the discourses by um, Plato, the Socrates discourses, dialogues, mm -hmm. and I read them from basically half of them. Like all, so I'm very familiar with the, well, I mean, not the most familiar, but I think after reading about three to 40 of these uh, dialogues, Kind of familiar and i think the way i think socrates was wrong about everything <laughs> but the way he was thinking it was really interesting uh to like question people i think it's that's how i feel like i'm not a lot of times i'm not saying much except like hey you that thing you think you really know you maybe don't know it for sure like i'm questioning people all the time so i feel like the way he thinks is very similar to how i approach meetings science uh just practice and physical therapy and myself like when i when i hear myself going like hey i know this for sure 
I, uh, there's like a little alarm that, right, that, that rings mm -hmm. and I, I go look it up to make sure that that's true. And a lot of times I've learned something. So, you know, sometimes I was like, hey, for reps, for a strength, you need to be at that specific range. And it turns out that wasn't true. That was a couple of years ago. And there's like a lot of more examples. That was when, that's when I started doing that. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then is there any quote you live by or one that's drastically changed your life, quote or mantra? Uh, I mean, it's really depressing, but it, I've always looked that way. It's, I think that when people ask me, like, what my, my life philosophy is, is that no one cares about you. Like, maybe they do, but, like, if there's 8 billion people on Earth, and, right, maybe, maybe at most there's, like, a thousand people that care about you. Let's say, like, you're very popular, right, that like, actually care about you. <laughs> there's still, like, almost 8 billion that don't give a shit So like, the why the reason I find that encouraging is that you should, you know, do what you want to do. Because even your friends, like I think there's studies showing that like every five years you change your best friend. Obviously that's a, an average, but like you change your who your best friend is. So but you're never gonna be outside of your body, right? So I think you should prioritize yourself and if some people like because I see so so many people they're like, oh what are my parents are gonna think? Like what are my friends gonna think? It's like, well, what are you gonna think? You know, like do whatever makes you happy. And, you know, obviously friends are important, but at some point, you know, if, whatever, yeah, just think about yourself because most people don't care what you do, is what I'm saying. A lot of people oh. think, oh, what are you going to be, or people are going to think, it's like people are not going to think about you. <laughs> yeah, that's the process. That's a good point, though, because I think, I think honestly, everyone, everyone needs to realize that everyone's hyper-focused on themselves rather than you know, worrying about those people around them. So oftentimes when you're worried, even in a social situation, like what do these people think of me? They're thinking about themselves and that those same things. They're not thinking about, you know, you. So I like it. And I think it does have some truth to it. So exactly. my, yeah. So my last question, Alexis, what is your favorite snack? I had a pickle with this because I don't snack much, but um, parsimons. Yeah. What is it? You know what parsimons is? Uh, parsimons are like no. khakis. It's like a type of fruit. It's in, and in between like a, a tomato, an apple, and a mango. Like the taste. Oh, wow. It's like basically like a mango. It tastes a little bit like a mango, but you can eat it the whole thing basically. So it has like the practicality of an apple. Well, better than an apple and the texture is fun and it, if you put it in your bag it doesn't get all bruised uh, wow that sounds like, like a really, really good. that sounds really like good. a sounds like a dangerous combination and might be i'm sure you've heard of it it's just yeah i'll have to I'll have to do some research um well alexis thanks so much for coming on the show i really really appreciate it where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing and stay up to date Uh, you know, bullshit physio on Instagram and all platforms. Uh, on YouTube too, I have like longer form videos, which are pretty good balance. It's actually either complete nonsense where we make fun and I, it's like not educational at all, except it's really funny, uh, in my opinion. And then you've got the very um, thorough review. So I divide it into physio reacts, which is basically nonsense, and then physio reviews where it's long educational stuff about um, other people like approaches that like why other approaches are sometimes 
still with motion. Uh, and then really the position follows pragmatic rehab principles, which is the educational platform I, I launched with Jacob Templar and Elliot Sierra. Um, yeah, the, like it's, it's purely education there and it's, I mean, it's very solid because these guys are smarter than me. So we like really make sure it's all top of the line. And we're gonna have courses go upcoming. Uh... Awesome. Well, again, really appreciate everything you're doing for the field of physical therapy and musculoskeletal rehab. It's it's great to see that there are people out there who do take the time to look into the research and make things a little bit more easy, um, enjoyable for those who don't go as deep into the research. So you're doing great things, Alexis, and, you know, keep, keep fighting the good fight. Thanks for having me.